All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hood Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Traded Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do have a special introductory offer to all three of those newsletters. Uh, each of them separately, call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Or go to our website at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. also like to remind you that perhaps the best place to access everything that I do is on jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are American Manganese, Atocha Resources, Helio Resources, Metanor Resources, Merrick's Gold, Brazil Resources, American Bonanza, Paramount Gold and Silver, Millrock Resources, and Palangio Exploration. Well, as we prepare to end this year, uh, and to head into the next one, I have my special guest today, Bill Lagner, uh, who, along with Kevin Duffy, heads up the Bearing Asset Management Fund. And during a year when it has been very difficult to make money on the long or short sides of markets, almost, well, difficult at least on the long sides, only treasury markets have done well, unexpectedly to most of us. Bearing Asset Management has managed to have a very successful year again, and we will, of course, ask Bill how he managed to do that, how he and Kevin Duffy, his partner, managed to make this into another winning year when everyone else has had a pretty tough time of it. Joining me in the second hour of today's show will be Jeff Dice. He's Ron Paul's chief of staff. We'll be talking to Jeff about a bill that is making its way through Congress that uh, I thought could never happen in America. It wasn't supposed to happen in America. It's a bill that will allow the police to take each and every one of us off the streets whenever we are deemed to be an enemy of the state. Well, we'll talk to Jeff about that later in today's show. Um, and if possible, we'll also talk to him a little bit about some of the uh, the uh, tax legislation uh, that is making its way through Congress as well, or perhaps is being stalled and blamed on the Tea Party. Uh, I would... Um, uh, what I should say that, uh, well, we'll talk more about the enemy, the state issue, and, and all of that later, uh, but I do find this perhaps the, one of the most important things in my mind these days. You know, it's not only the economy, which is the main focus of this show, but it's also the loss of liberty and the potential to lose liberty. And, you know, as times get tougher in the economy, then there's more and more uh, consternation and, and uh, uh, sort of a trend towards police state tactics, which is really disconcerting. As I say, wasn't supposed to happen in America. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to play a Bloomberg interview with Robert Prechter that aired earlier this morning. Robert Prechter, who has been a guest on this show, uh, is, of course, uh, very much a deflationist, and I share many of Robert's views, as do many of the other guests that we've had on this show from time to time. We've all, we have also had a lot of people that are on the inflation side of the argument, uh, Ron Paul, um, Mark Faber, James Turk, to name just three. There are plenty of others. So we try to keep it balanced, and we try to, to try to really keep an objective view of what's going on. Where are we really heading in the market? It doesn't matter what Jay Taylor thinks. It doesn't matter 
what Chen Lin thinks or Robert Prechter or anybody else. It really matters. What really matters is, well, what is really going to happen? We all have our opinions, and what we try to do on this show is to keep as objective as possible. And uh, with that in mind, I want to welcome Chen Lin again, once again with me, because Chen does have ideas that are different than mine. Thanks, Chen, for joining me. Thank you, Jay. Chen, as we head into uh, 2012, your general views of things, are is this going to be a risk-on or a risk-off year? Oh, well, it's really, it's, it's a cautious year, I would say. Uh, the, the probably first half of the year, we will see uh, European, if they have a solution, if they... The, the final one, if they're going to break up or they're going to, you know, unify, mm-hmm. become a, a, a more like a single currency. So uh, that that will have some clarity, and that's probably will set the tone for the rest of the year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, you know, we we will wait and see. I know one of the things about you is that you are able to uh, to pretty much change your mind and and take the risk off or put it back on. Uh, to a great extent, because you are an investor for sure. You do look at intrinsic value. You do look at companies that have great growth potential, but you are also very cognizant of, uh, of risk. Uh, and um, so that, I think, is, is to, your, uh, to, your, uh, to your benefit. You've done very well over the years, Chen, in investing your money. Now, I know there are a couple of companies that you are particularly keen on, and actually I share both of them in my own newsletter. <clears throat> Excuse me, I like them a lot. Uh, the first one is Mart Resources. You've talked about them before, and I understand Mart has had some good news that has just come out today. Could you talk to our listeners about Mart? Yes, they go to they step out very far away, two kilometers from the original drill site and drill another well. It is called Yumun Nine. It's a completely different area. The test result, initial test result, just came out. They have fantastic uh, intersections of oil columns, so it uh, looks like the oil field extends all the way to that area. That's a very good news. Uh, that's probably at least double their net asset value, probably if not triple. You can speculate from last year. And last year, their uh, net asset value after tax, after all this, is over a dollar. You can see the, the, the new reserve number for this year will be much higher. The stock's still trading at 80-something cents. So that, that, that's, a, you know, market has, still hasn't recognized it yet. Uh, did I hear you say, Chen, you expect the NAV at the end of this year to be uh, double what it was last year? At least double, yeah. Uh-huh. Probably because with this well, with this result, because you extend so far from the original field, and then you still find oil, very good oil there, and then you put a reserve number in this year, plus the drilling success of this year. Uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not the... Uh, you know, bulletproof, but you know you can guess. You can almost guess like this two kilometers. Yeah. What, what are you valuable. expecting the cash flows to be like uh, at the end of this year? Uh, say for this year. Oh, cash flow this year. Uh, the cash flow they already have that the current production. Uh, they they there has about sixty cents. That's this year. Uh, I mean next year. I'm sorry. Uh, from. The mm-hmm. current production, you can estimate when they have the pipeline deal, which should be coming very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much cash flow? I think I think it's either it's between sixty cents to eighty cents. Depends on a lot of different factors. Depends on where oil prices. Depends on other things. But those are the cash coming into the company. The company will have a tremendous cash flow. And right now, they only have one rig drilling. Uh, each year to drill four wells. Potentially, they can put multiple rigs. And there's just so many possibilities. You know, when company becomes successful, <laughs> a lot of things going well. So yeah, and and Chen, the share price doesn't reflect that though. If we're talking about a sixty cent cash flow this year and an eighty cent share price, uh, oh, yeah, that, that is year. a very very low multiple the share price. And I know that management is talking about the possibility of a dividend, maybe a ten percent dividend or something like that next year. To try to help, uh, you know, bring the share price up closer to where the market would, you know, what would be a reasonable mar- a multiple. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, I, I was saying it's, it's uh, 60 cents, and my estimate for the next year. Okay, uh-huh. the, for this year, the cash flow a little bit low because they, they start with a year with a much lower production. Sure. Okay, so uh, so that that's where. But for last quarter, uh, their cash flow, I think, is. Uh, 
12 cents or something. That was last quarter. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It's, it's coming up significantly. Next year, we'll, we'll likely to double that because the production will double. So people can give some reasonable estimate. They will, it's, it will be continue ramping up throughout next year. Okay, Chen, and we only have two minutes left before the break. The other company that I know you're really excited about right now is Rypatch. Talk to us about Rypatch. It is also a recommendation in my newsletter. Yeah, they just uh, staged a huge landing land off of just on the Quartelion silver mine. So basically, uh, they got the line, and then they're going to court right now, today as we're speaking. The argument from Quartelion is that, oh, it's unsafe for you to come over to your land because they recognize it's their land already because we are mining on it. <laughs> what kind of argument? So eventually, Quartelion has to you know, settle this. I, I feel quarterly I'm probably best to buy a right patch. That will be a win-win situation. Yeah. I own both stock, by the way. I own both both shares. What's right patch selling at now? Uh, right patch kind of 66 cents. So they can, you know, buy for a dollar, two dollar. I think a dollar too cheap, you know. Maybe dollar, $2. Dollar, one to two dollars you expect might be a fair price or might be something that uh, right patch it will be a good price for quarterly young okay i would say that because right patch has so much gold and then they're oxidized and then they're next to quarterly young existing mine so a lot of synergy there it's you know it's good good price as a quarterly young shareholder i think it's a good deal okay yeah. it's also a good deal for right patch shareholder because you get money double triple right now right well, Chen, you are on both sides of that uh, of that equation, so you are, I, I suppose, in a very objective uh, position to view it. And so, in your view, as a shareholder of uh, Cordial Lane, you you wouldn't be uh, disappointed with a dollar to two dollars. You think that that would make some sense? Yeah, that's from a that's synergy at the right price. You know, really, is that their management? They have the ego. You know, they swallow their ego. They yeah, yeah, egos can get in the way. There's no doubt about that. Uh-huh. Well, Chen, that is all the time we've got. Uh, thank you again for coming on and sharing your insights on these companies. And uh, let's hope that 2012 is a more prosperous year and, and a less difficult year than this year. Thanks again, Chen, for being with us, folks. Don't go away. When I come back after the break, I'm going to play uh, a clip from Robert Prechter, who was on Bloomberg Radio this morning. I think you're not going to want to miss it, so don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project located in Arizona is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Meadow Bay Gold is a gold exploration, pre-production, and development company focused on developing its flagship project, the Atlanta Gold Mine in Nevada. Meadow Bay Gold has recently announced a significant gold porphyry discovery at the Atlanta Mine and is currently conducting a significant drill program. Meadow Bay Gold trades under the symbol MAYGF on the OTCQX or MAY on the TSX Venture Exchange. To learn more about Meadow Bay Gold, go to www.meadowbaygold.com. Gold in Nevada, the right stuff in the right place. Attention gold stock investors, Brazil Resources Inc., trading as BRIZF on the OTCQX and as BRI on the TSX Venture, is exploring three gold projects in the Garupi Gold Belt in Brazil. Surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits, BRI features top Brazilian geologists, earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold directly in Brazil, led by recognized mining and financing executive Amir Adnani, co-founder and chairman. Look us up now at www.brazilresources.com. That's Brazil Resources. Or call us at 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, you know, we've had many guests on this show uh, over the last couple of years that have been on the deflation side of uh, the great inflation-deflation argument. People like Ian Gordon, Bob Hoy, Miss Shedlack, and Robert Prechter has been on this show as well. Those are folks that believe that we are inexorably headed towards a deflationary implosion. Uh, we've had other people on this show, too. Ron Paul, Mark Faber, John Williams, James Turk, just to name a few, who are just as sure that we're heading into a hyperinflationary environment. And I, in either case, uh, it's not a happy scenario. It's not the kind of environment that is conducive to happiness and growth and uh, and stability. So either way, uh, it does make quite a difference, though, if we go into an inflationary environment. Uh, if we hyperinflate especially, well, we want to own tangible assets, but we don't necessarily want to invest in companies because making a profit in a hyperinflationary environment is very difficult, if not impossible. On the other hand, if we are heading into a deflationary depression, then what history tells us is that gold mining does extremely well. Uh, we will want to be liquid. We will want to keep out of debt. We will want to make sure that our financial houses are in order, and we're going to want to own the ultimate liquidity, liquid asset of all, namely gold. Uh, we, uh, in any event, it is my belief, and I think the belief of probably our next guest, Bill Lagner, as well, when we get to, we'll talk to him about this, that it's almost impossible to have some sort of a, a soft landing, uh, a reversion back to some sort of normal growth that we've enjoyed over decades in the past. Certainly, um, uh, it, it seems to me that's impossible. We've had people on uh, this show uh, that I think that uh, really sort of 
explain why that's the case, starting with Ed Griffin, who uh, wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, and uh, with that, of course, the creature being the Federal Reserve, which I believe is at the heart of the instability we have. You know, they were the Fed was created to try to create stability. In fact, I would argue it's been exactly the opposite. In any event, uh, I'm going to play now an, a, uh, a clip from Robert Prechter. He was on Bloomberg this morning. So, uh, Justin, if you could start the clip uh, with Robert Prechter uh, on Bloomberg now. Robert Prechter. Tell us about the average commute of 2012. Uh, we see the Dow flat for the year, essentially. Markets in some sectors, including banking, challenge. Your view for 2012. Well, isn't it amazing? We're not only flat, well, slightly down uh, for the year, but we're flat, slightly down for the last 13 years. The, the S&P closed at 1245 back in uh, 1998. And in between both of those periods, you had, you've had these wild fluctuations, 300 point range in the S&P this year, and of course much greater over the past uh, 13 years. Uh, interesting, we're at the same point, but so many people have had a difficult year because they were betting, uh, you know, on recovery and they got leveraged and you know what happened to the hedge funds, even the mutual funds because they charge a little bit for the service are down about 5%, commodities down about 10%. So it's been a difficult year for people who owned investments, who owned things. But it's been a pretty good year for the, the safety-minded people, which, of course, I'm very adamant about safety. And if you were in treasury bonds, you're up 20% total net return. And if you're just sitting in cash, it wasn't so bad. What do you do with your bond call? Of course, Bill Gross, folks, we're putting together our New, New Year's show, and uh, my essay of the year will be from Mr. Gross, an article he wrote in the Washington Post a number of months ago, and there's been a lot of splash made, uh, Robert Prechter, about William Gross uh, getting the bond call wrong. Uh, how long can we sustain at a 1.85% 10-year yield? Well, it's a great question, but I think those – you know, three of us worldwide who think deflation is the real threat aren't that surprised because this is what happens in deflationary times. I showed a chart in the book going back 200 years that shows the cycle of deflation about every 50, 60 years. Some people call it the Kondratiev cycle. And each time, any bonds that were rated AAA, and so far up until uh, this year, that's been true of U.S. Treasuries, they have continued to show lower and lower yields in the latter part of that cycle. Now, the whole question that I raised in the book was, well, how do we know what bonds are going to stay AAA? And the last I checked, there are four companies left in the entire United States with a AAA yield. And I think about a dozen, no, it's, I believe it's 18 countries worldwide whose sovereign debt is AAA. And of course, that's going to shrink dramatically in coming weeks because about, uh, Eight of those are in Europe. So, you know, it's kind of tough to find places to hide, even if you're, if you're a deflationist. 16. Robert Prechter with us, Conquer the Crash, uh, the book. Bob Prechter, where's your mattress? Where, <laughs> what, what, what do we put our, our fat one? Let's put it that way. It's if, nice and comfortable. If, if, if you're cautious, so seriously, with financial repression and with these low yields, what kind of a mattress do those more cautious and conservative want? Well, you know, it's very tough to find, uh, safe yield. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's the reason I have to own commodities or I have to own foreign stocks or I have to own something else. But the reverse logic was uh, very popular in 1980, 81, and 82 when the stock market was making one of the biggest bottoms of all time. And interest rates are up in double digits. And people said, well, I can't buy stocks. They only yield 6% and I'm making 12% or 14% or something in my treasury bills and my bonds. But the market fools people that way. That's exactly how it goes about its business. And if you apply the typical, you know, A equals B logic, you're not going to do well. If you look at it as a psychological phenomenon, I think you, you tend to do a lot better. So right now, I think safety is a good thing. You're not going to get rich, but you won't be losing money. And the people who wanted to buy things and own things are, you know, seeing sort of the truth of that in the past year. Uh, Tom is usually quick to glom onto a, a chart, uh, Bob, and now I'm going to, because you've got one here showing, linking the stock market to the popularity of, in chronological order, Benny Goodman, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, the Beatles, Michael Jackson. <laughs> what is, is Lady Gaga telling us something now? Well, we found out that in bull, see, I think the, the whole reason that stocks move up and down is there, is that there are ways of social mood. People move from po uh, positive social mood 
optimism and, and good feelings toward a negative social mood. Um, I'm not the first one even to say that. I think Keynes had a similar comment way back in the 30s. That, I believe, is the engine of, of not only market change, but social change. So when you have a bull market, people are buying stocks. They're feeling better, so they buy shares. They also expand their businesses. We just saw some of the results of the last two years' rise in these housing start figures. And they also want to uh, sort of pour their adoration or their good feelings onto some sort of object. And it usually turns out to be some pop icon. And musical icons are a big part of that. And each one of those people you just listed uh, was a big hero in a great bull market. Um, usually in bear markets, you don't see those kinds of big heroes. Yeah, and nobody in the 70s. No, well, there were a lot of people people liked, but nobody is, yeah. uh, that people screamed and cried and wailed and fainted over. No. So that let me happens ask you, only in bull markets when people are feeling great. So is it now? Is it too early to tell about Lady Gaga now? Oh, no, you'll have to ask her, but I think <laughs> I think there are people right now because we still have, you know, optimism has been spread out over this whole 13-year period, and a lot of people have benefited from it. Uh, I think some of the more outrageous performers uh, are doing really well. Bob Prechter, um, I'm getting ready for Surveillance Midday today on television. Bruce Kasman will join me from J.P. Morgan, part of our view to 2012. And when you overlay the Prechter universe on J.P. Morgan's 2012 nominal GDP of 3.3%, I would suggest within our American memory, we don't know how to run an economy with a nominal GDP of 3.3%. We're not used to this, are we? Oh, I don't know about economic forecasts. I think most people looking at economic figures are sort of behind the curve. The leading indicators to me are things like the stock market, which topped in April, things like copper, lumber, silver, all of which peaked between February and, and April of this year. And those things could turn around and go back up again. But right now they have pretty much stated that we're in a transitional period for the economy. We're still going to get the good some good news, and we've got seasonals positive for the stock market going into early January. So, you know, we're going to get some kind of respite in here. But overall, I think the scenario that I outlined back then is, is likely to hold. So I'm sticking with it until I see signs of a terrific bottom. I think there's going to be a great buying opportunity one of these days. Critically, do you need a cathartic bottom to do that, or can you sort of fall into it and just noodle along? Well, you can noodle along. We had something like that in the 70s, as you know, and it finally ended uh, in terms of the Dow PPI ratio in 1982. But the market usually does not do the same thing twice in a row. A lot of people are saying, oh, we're going to repeat 1966 to 82. I don't think so. I think this is more like a, a big top that we're building. Within that and within cycle research and cycle study, maybe we get a cathartic bottom or such. What is the signal of a washed out market where you get opti optimistic? What, what well, is the thing you would look for? Yeah, one of the, one of the signs uh, is extreme pessimism. We had that in the first quarter of 2009. I don't know if you and I were talking at that time, but everything that we like to see for a bottom was, was, was in play then. We had slowing downside momentum. We had uh, extreme pessimism. All the economists were finally saying we're in a recession, you know. So you had the usual lineup of things. Right now we're pretty much on the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, another interesting area we haven't talked about is gold and silver. I was about to ask you about gold. What, what can you tell us about gold? Uh, 613 here after, uh, you know, selling off for a few days. Yeah, well, the last, you know, we've had an interesting year here because something very rare happened, which is that gold continued to make new highs into September after silver topped in April. When did that happen before? It's only happened once in the last hundred years, and that was in 1974. Um, silver peaked in March, gold held up until December. The ultimate aftermath of that really dramatic divergence was that gold dropped 50%. Nothing is guaranteed in life, but those are the kinds of things that we look at to say, what is the most likely resolution uh, from the current situation? A lot of people are saying, oh, well, gold is up, so we want to be bullish on it. But usually when a market diverges, as the Dow theorist told us 100 years ago, that's when you want to be on, on the alert for a reversal. I think this recent weakness in gold is probably a real turn. Uh, back to commodities, I just looked at the copper chart, and not that I'm a slave to John Maggie and his classic technical book, but it screams head and shoulders. Um, when, when you look at the metals and the indication of global GDP that they price in, where is copper right now? I think you just nailed it. I think it's in a head and shoulders top pattern, a very, very large one as well. Yeah. 
And I think you can also paint the uh, Dow and S&P as a big head and shoulders pattern since 2000. But, um, you know, sometimes those patterns fail, but you, you want to go with the odds. What we are doing and what, what you're doing when we're looking at the market is, is that we're uh, looking at probabilistic things. All we can say is usually this happens. Most of the time this happens. Historically, this has happened. Uh, so nobody ever knows for sure, but the, the odds are, to, to me, pretty strongly on one side, as you just mentioned. Uh, to, getting back to the financial repression and so many retirees and, say, and savers that have uh, read each and every one of, of, of your books, if you were to write a new book today, or to rewrite Conquer the Crash, maybe you'd call it Conquer the Crisis, we're in year five of this crisis. What have you learned through this crisis? What is it? Well, what I've learned is uh, it's lasted a whole lot longer than I thought in terms of how long the tops played out. Um, most people have been shocked by the setbacks and the, the, the debt problems in Europe and all these things which I pretty much listed out in Conquer the Crash. But what's thrown me off is how long it's taken to play out. We, we had a mania in the NASDAQ in 2000. We had a real estate peak out in 06, uh, the Dow in 07, commodities in 08. Now we've got gold this year. I mean, it's just amazing how many different markets people can find to generate a mania in. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP Gold Project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatsjab Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. Capitalizing on North America's gold assets, Marathon Gold Corp. MOZ on the TSX is building value through resource development in Newfoundland and Idaho. Q1 2012 is expected to be a rewarding time for Marathon, with an update resource estimate expected on its economic leprechaun gold deposit in Newfoundland, and an initial resource estimate is expected at the same time on its Golden Chest project in Idaho, a historical producer. Don't miss this opportunity to capitalize on today's gold price. For more info, visit www.marathon-gold.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me uh, again, once again, Bill Lagner. He's been with us before, but for the sake of those who, of you who may not be familiar with Bill, uh, he went into the, invis- to the investment industry in the late 1980s, initially as a stockbroker, and then moved uh, to the buy side at Fidelity Investments out of Houston, Texas, where he has set up a trust company and a discretionary money and management service. Uh, Kevin Duffy and Bill Lagner uh, are the brains behind the Bearings Fund. In case you have not heard of the Bearings Fund, it is a hedge fund that gained over 100% in 2008 um, and actually is doing very well again this year, another year in which people are having a very difficult time making money. I can attest to that uh, with my own uh, newsletter uh, recommendations down on balance for the year. So welcome, Bill. It's really good to have you back again. Jay, thanks for having me back. Uh, you, uh, I believe, were listening to uh, to Mr. Prechter's comments. I want to get some of those comments, uh, and I do want to ask you how you managed to do well this year in spite of a very difficult year. Uh, but speaking of Mr. Prechter, he talked about 13 years of flat markets. With 13 years of flat markets, isn't it about time that we start having a bull market? You know, I think that... Um... You know, one of the things I, I did listen to the interview with Bob on uh, Bloomberg, and I think one of the interesting pieces of this particular time frame in, uh, in both the stock and bond markets is kind of the, the building up of the derivative credit bubble. Um, initially, we had a tech bubble, of course, that um, collapsed, and then the, uh, the government, along with Fannie, Freddie, the central banks, around the world, uh, lowered interest rates, and you segued into a credit bubble. Um, that credit bubble, without derivatives, uh, structured finance, off-balance sheet, shadow banking um, activities, the credit bubble would have never gone to levels that it did. Um, in fact, Kevin and I were uh, wondering back in '05 when the home builders were rolling over and everything else was pretty much status quo, you know, w- will we ever see this... Uh, this top, but um, of course, late 06, 07, um, you started to see the um, the uh, subprime bubble burst. Um, and I think what's happened now, again, with the um, with the private sector credit bubble imploding, the government's collectively printed um, 12 trillion dollars around the world, and kind of a last ditch effort to try and keep the quote unquote fiat system intact. And now, of course, we're seeing the unintended consequences from that rescue mission. Um, and I think we can get into that, but I think that's probably the thing that has perplexed uh, Bob Prechter. Um, again, you, you are able to take institutions that uh, even during the, uh, the boom in the 20s were levered maybe 15 to 1 or 18 to 1, and we've had leverage. Um, just look at MF Global, where leverage across the system now has approach 40, 50, 60, 70 to 1 again. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, you know, one of the things that Robert said that sort of in a way surprised me, but not entirely because he is known for his social mood work that he does, and I, I certainly don't have any problem with that. I, I certainly believe that, you know, there are moods, there are psych, you know, mass psychology that plays in markets and so forth. But I also believe that when people start to look at their balance sheets and when they start to realize they're broke, that also has an impact. An impact, so there is a reality to it, and it's not just sort of as, as uh, I think Prechter was alluding to Keynes's animal spirits. You know, we hear all the time that uh, Tom Keene on uh, Tom Keene on on Bloomberg constantly is asking, "How can we get the animal spirits back?" Well, it seems to me there's something very real, though. It's not just psychology. They can't just spin things. I mean, you can spin things so far, can't you, Bill? And then. At some point in time, you hit the wall. Have we hit the wall now as a country? 
Yeah, I think I think what's happened is the the real wealth creators, the entrepreneurs, they have pulled in their horns. Um, there is a tremendous. If you and I were to chart uh, apprehension and/or distrust in the system, I would say today we're at a new high, um, and I think that's just a reflection of how the various uh, powers that be around the world have constantly changed the rules. Um, for example, today the markets become euphoric because. It appears that um, this three-year lending uh, uh, sham that the European Central Bank has created will allow the um, the insolvent um, European banks to essentially borrow very, very cheap money from the ECB and buy sovereign and try and play the uh, the spread game. Um, and of course, everyone thinks you know we've dodged another bullet, and the speculators essentially run back into their their favorite momentum stocks. But I, I think. You know, again, you, you look at the private sector, there's apprehension on the part of the uh, the wealth creators. They're not borrowing money. The companies that were smart enough to refinance at very low rates over the last several years, they're not really deploying a lot of that money back into uh, R&D, uh, things of that nature. They are buying back some stock. I think it's one of the reasons why the U.S. stock market has stayed uh Stayed up this year, but um, I just think that we are going to we're going to continue to roll through this period where more intervention. Um, we've lowered interest rates to practically zero uh, in the developed uh, Westernized governments. Um, we're trying to essentially create this lifeline to the um, to the the banking system. But look at the banks around the world. Um, in the case of the European banking system, the uh, the bank liabilities are roughly 82%, 84% of global GDP. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are in, insolvent institutions. And mm-hmm. they've, one of the, um, this, 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 they've had 19 of these meetings, I believe, in the last 15, 16 months. But the mm-hmm. latest meeting, the idea was to raise more capital. Of course, they can't raise more capital. So what they're doing is they're just, they're essentially shrinking the balance sheet. So these entities, these, these banks that have been the buyer of last resort of the sovereign, the EU sovereign, they're actually going to be creating this global garage sale and delevering, maybe to the tune of as much as several trillion dollars. Um, that is going to be wild contractionary. And then I think the other thing that you're seeing in Europe are the large European companies. They don't even want to hold cash within these banks, they've actually placed cash at the ECB. So ECB deposits have soared, and now you have this whole, again, this whole new level higher in distrust and apprehension, and that's leading to more more economic contraction. And I think the same thing here. I mean, I think this morning, the T-bill, there was a, there was a four-week bill auction. I think at one point we went negative on the four-week this morning, Jay. And I think, hmm. again, people are just saying they don't trust the system, they're parking their money in short-term obligations, government obligations like treasuries. Of course, there's reluctance in, in terms of buying obligations of the uh, of the European nations, but that's where we are. We're in this kind of deleveraging mode, and I think Bob also talked about the the, uh, the hedge funds. A lot of the hedge funds this year are down 20, 30, some as much as 40, 45 percent. Mm-hmm. They've been whipped around. And I think they came into the uh, the year, took on a lot of leverage, thinking we'd have QE to infinity. And guess what? We don't have QE to infinity. And so basically now they are in the mode where they're taking losses, they're getting redemptions. And I think that's an area that will shrink considerably as we move into 2012. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, do you see this deleveraging aspect? And we've had plenty of people on this show talking about deleveraging, Robert Prechter, Ms. Shedlack. We expect to have Gary Schilling, who wrote the book, uh, The Age of Deleveraging, on this show sometime in the near future. Do you see this as an inevitable trend, then? Is it Mother Nature defying the wishes and whims of politicians and bankers, or, or what's going on here? And is it inevitable? Well, I mean, look at, look at America, for example. The bulk of the credit creation over the last 10, 15 years was through the mortgage conduit, okay? And so you had massive speculation in the, in the late part of the... Uh, 07 housing bubble, of course, that burst. And then you look at today with, what, three, four rescue missions by the current administration, uh, mortgage restructuring, mortgage modifications, et cetera. You look at, A, the shadow inventory in America, B, the number of people 
who haven't made a mortgage payment in one year or even 18 months or more in some cases. Um, you look at the entire mortgage title securitization process, people wondering whether or not they even have clean title to the home that they purchased over the last several years. Mm. Um, I, I think we, we, we are, the marketplace is trying to force a reset. It's trying to force deleveraging. It will win. Um, and people say, well, the market, you know, the governments will just keep printing money. Um, ultimately, and look at the latest foreclosure data, foreclosures are actually accelerating now in the United mm-hmm. States. I think the banks are at a point where, let's face it, you can only kick the can down their own for so long. They're either going to foreclose and liquidate. In fact, they are liquidating pools of real estate currently um, and having to raise more capital. Um, I think the U.S. banks will be forced uh, to raise more capital as well. But I think that, um, you know, you can only, uh, you know, you've got people not making payments and essentially taking that mortgage money and consuming things. And so we're going to measure, quote, unquote, GDP and say that the U.S. economy is rebounding. Is it really? Um, or looking at the U.S. debt figures, you know, up 11% year over year. But the economy, the GDP measured by GDP, you know, we still have a positive GDP. So hmm. the U.S. is doing wonderful. We have a, quote, unquote, recovery. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. We don't. It's an illusion. It's a debt, debt-led debt recovery, uh, if you can call it. You can't really recall it, call it a recovery. Well, but, look at look at China. Um, we can get into China. I mean, it, China essentially went through the same thing that, that we did post-08. They flooded their system with, with new debt. And, um, and now you have certain people coming out publicly saying that the debt in China is at or above 100% of GDP. You know, many of, there was an article in Bloomberg the other day where there's a town, I forget the name of the town that it's near Beijing, I believe, but it's basically this, they're building a replica of Manhattan. And of course they've gone broke and, um, they're trying to find a way to get financing to complete it. So this is all a debt illusion. Um, the debt is defaulting. And it will continue to default. It's not just a U.S. phenomena. It's a, I think it's a global phenomena, and it's really a function of how the various governments around the world try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is what the marketplace is now finally onto. It's taken a while, and I think the marketplace now is becoming more and more skeptical. I mean, look at the Chinese stock market, for example, took out the 09 lows. This the last week or so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the stock markets around the world are discounting uncertainty and what you and I would basically call fraud in many cases. Well, Bill, if we're heading into a global, and I believe you do believe this is a global phenomenon, if we head into a, de- a global deleveraging position, is it possible that we get to a hyperinflationary environment that many people are, are suggesting is inevitable? You know, that's a possible outcome. Um, if you go into a, a kind of a give-up mode where the private sector continues to pull in their horns and, uh, you know, the powers that be continue to press on the accelerator, changing the rules, printing money, backstopping other aspects of the economy, you know, look at what we did with 0708. There was actually a time when, we, when the FDIC was guaranteeing the issuance of new debt from either uh, banks, investment banks, in fact, certain real estate investment trusts. If the government, which let's face it, the government has grown as a percentage of GDP quite a bit in the last four years. If the government continues to include, uh, into the marketplace and you continue to, uh, lose trust in, in, uh, the currency here, then there is the point, there is a point where you could tip over and go from a deflation into uh, hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And that could, you could see a number of things happen. You could have bank runs. You could have people basically just having, taking their money out of the U.S. Currently, actually, a lot of money is coming into the U.S. because there's more distrust in places like China and Europe. And so mm-hmm. we're kind of the best house in a bad neighborhood at, at this current uh, mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Well, certainly it seems logical enough, Bill, if, uh, you know, if the private sector, which creates the wealth, pulls in their horns and stops supplying, you have supply disappearing from the markets, and then you have demand in the form of um, notes that are created out of nothing, handed out to the masses. But here's one of the issues that I've had. Um, So far, it seems to me that 
the bailouts have gone basically to the banks, and I think that's completely understandable. We've had uh, Ed Griffin on this show and other people who have talked about the powers behind the throne, the, reason, the real reason the Federal Reserve was created. In fact, I'm going to talk a great deal about that next week in my show. Uh, the real reason the Fed was created was to privatize profits and allow uh, and socialize um, losses, which they've certainly done with uh, post-Lehman Brothers. Um, and it seems to me that the money that's been created has basically gone into the banking system. The banks are not lending it, and I might want to ask you why you think that's true, but uh, if the if the government had, I mean, I'm not advocating this. I don't believe in it. I think it's, that would be absolutely a wrong policy. But if the government had decided it wanted to shower money on the masses, you know, on the on the low income people and the middle income people, I think we've had Dr. Robert McHugh on this show who's advocated that and said, if they if the government did that, you would, you know, just let's just roll back taxes for the last three years, reimburse everybody the taxes they paid in the last three years, and you'd have a bottoms up demand that would sort of surge through the economy. People could afford to pay their mortgages again. People would be buying things and cars and whatever else they might want to buy because they'd have the wherewithal. Do you uh, do you think that would have worked better in terms of uh, generating um, generating growth in the economy? Well, I mean, it, clearly it would have had its own uh, positives and negatives. I mean, I, I've read uh, Bob McHugh's um, suggestions. In fact, I was reading it back then. I think probably the most important lesson that, of course, very few have learned because of the way they went around about bailing out the system, Jay, is that you know you have we've created this culture from mispriced credit where people that would typically save money, invest money properly, and then go make a, let's say, a car purchase or a larger home purchase. All of that was moved to the present because of mispriced credit, ease of credit, uh, governments subsidizing certain parts of the economy, in this case, housing. And you had people essentially, um, you know, spending multiples of their income on housing, which was really kind of a fool's game, thinking the housing would always go up. Mm -hmm. The best thing to do here, in my opinion, is we should have allowed foreclosures to play out. People would have learned lessons, and people mm -hmm. would have then gone back and repaired their balance sheets. They would have rented for a while, repaired their balance sheets, and they would have never made that mistake again. Instead, we have people in homes, million-dollar homes, not paying their mortgage for two years plus in many parts of the country. We have savers who are getting paid nothing on savings for the fourth year in a row, and that that's roughly, uh, my opinion, a cost of four or five hundred billion a year to the economy. And assuming we get paid what the real inflation rate's been, something close to it, um, you've created a whole subset of distortions. And now the thinking is is that don't worry, whatever happens, the government's going to create a, a fix for the system. And in reality, the government doesn't have the um, the political ammunition that they had four or five years ago to do this. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing foreclosure rates escalate. And um, I think what we're going to see now is kind of a, uh, we're going to revisit the 07, 08 um, problems. And um, I don't think they're going to be able to kick the can down the road very much further. So I do mm -hmm. think that we are actually going uh, into this, phase where we're going to revisit the problems, I think we'll actually handle them in a more efficient manner. I think it was John Hussman, another suggestion he made was, well, the bank could write down the principal, but then take back a warrant over the next 10 or 20 years and capture any upside to try and, and um, you know, re regain the, um, the initial write-down of the uh, mortgage. Mm -hmm. so that's something that could have been decided between the borrower and lender. Mm -hmm. And instead, the government got involved, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you have so many distortions still in the uh, in the housing market and why home prices continue to go lower. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think that that is something else we're going to revisit as we go into 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill, speaking of home prices, uh, we had um, we had a lady here who actually is involved in the real estate market. She was a guest on my show. Few weeks back, and and she's talking about how foreign money is coming in now into certain markets, and I think Dallas, Texas, was one that she mentioned. Texas, in general, which has more favorable sort of pro free market or at least pro corporate uh, 
tax structures that there are, in fact, uh, some really good deals right now in terms of cash flow, giving you know north of 10% returns on investment in real estate. Do you think, uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but if you do, I'd like to hear what it is. If you think there might be some places where people could actually go in and, and uh, make some good real estate investments these days, or do you think it's still time to wait? You know, I'm sure there there are examples of opportunities out there, Jay. I would I would say that again, even if you're buying, let's say, commercial real estate or even residential real real estate at some significant discount from oh five, oh six, here here are the unknowns going forward after making that purchase. I think I mentioned earlier in the program the problems with MERS and uh, whether or not, and Chris Whalen's talked a lot about this, whether or not title has actually transferred with mortgages during the whole securitization frenzy over the last decade. So clear title is an issue. And then mm. second, second are the different towns that you're buying real estate in. Are they solvent or are they insolvent? If they've got significant pension obligations and other liabilities that they're carrying, are you, the real estate owner, going to be Hit with that, uh, I know of a story recently in the last week where part of the new austerity in Italy, I have a friend that owns real estate there. His property taxes have more than tripled now on his uh, investment real estate. Mm-hmm. And he owns condominiums yeah. on the water, and the, the taxes have gone from $500 a year to $1,800 a year. Mm-hmm. So there's what is the cost of carrying that real estate? And then the third item, which is, in this case, a commercial real estate uh, analysis, that is, if we go into a significant slowdown, i.e. depression, which is, I think, something we are going into, uh, how long we stay in depression is a function of what the powers that be do. But let's say we go into a depression. Um, you own a shop, you bought a shopping center with 12 tenants, and now you're down to two tenants. Can those tenants even cover your carrying costs? So these are, the, and, and a lot of these tenants are essentially in that building because of fictitious demand, which essentially is being fueled by the government, you know, mm-hmm. essentially running these massive deficits and handing out money, I might add, to uh, the unproductive class. I mean, there's a lot of money right now flowing through entitlements that in a in a balanced budget type world would have to be cut at least 20%, in my opinion. So again, the demand for services is somewhat fictitious because <clears throat> of the excess uh, deficits that we're running and the carrying costs where you're buying it. And then, of course, do you even own it? And I think that's probably the biggest question mark in the uh, in the world that we've created, uh, you know, since the uh, the evolution of mortgage securitization and the whole CDS uh, CDO world. Yeah, no doubt about it, Bill. You know, there was a time when bankers actually knew who they were lending to and knew something about them, and uh, it could really make some good credit judgments. That that day has long passed. They've packaged mortgages together just feeling if you threw them all together there would be a few of them that would fail but not that many and we don't have to do the hard work of credit analysis and uh, obviously that has been a big mistake going forward you know i uh, want to talk to you we have to go to a commercial break now but when we come back i want to talk to you a little bit about robert prechter's idea of putting money under the mattress should we put our money under the mattress or should we buy gold and we know those of us who follow prechter's work know that he's not the biggest gold bug in the world that said however when i did talk to robert uh a few months ago he he was uh you know more inclined to own gold than any other what he calls a commodity. I don't believe that gold's a commodity. I don't think you believe that gold's a commodity. Uh, but we are going to go to, to a commercial break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you about gold. I want to also get some ideas about uh, what you are doing uh, at your fund, uh, at the Bearing Asset Fund, uh, to make money in what has been a very, very difficult year for most of us. Once again, you have managed to do extremely well in a year when everybody else is uh, is losing money or not doing very well. So we want to Try to uh, learn your secrets if we can, Bill. So, folks, don't go away. You're going to be right back with Bill Lagner after this commercial break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Merex Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merex's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration.